It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 12th of February. Moving up and down the standings, is it realistic? An interesting matchup of two pretty similar teams with the Jazz and the Heat. What's your optimum offense? Buyout candidates? And maybe a little fun with politics if I have time. Oh, I think that's a bad idea, but maybe. You'll see. It'll be funny. All coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz on your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way more fun to be a Jazz fan. I hope you're doing great. Uh, I want to share a happy birthday wish out to American Downhiller, Steve Nyman. Uh, and also, uh, you know, Sundance, Utah native, uh, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. So, you know, the kids have grown up with me doing this job or not to impress. They're no different than the other kids. They're not too impressed by dad. Uh, I think they like dad, but they're not too impressed by dad, a- except for, I found out a few years ago that American, uh, U.S. ski teamers, Steve Nyman, um, Ted Ligety, uh, and uh, Brandenburg at the time were all uh, actually used to drive from one World Cup event to the other and listen to Locked On Jazz because Steve sent me an email. Well, both my kids are ski racers, so this actually made like this was cool. This, this like this actually trumped any other really cool experience I've ever had in my life. That like oh, Dad just called Kobe's last game, no big deal. Oh my gosh, World Cup ski racers listen to Dad's podcast. In Europe, that's so cool. Steve Nyman, just one of the best dudes around, proceeded to then send my kids uh, his his bibs, uh, race bibs from some of his World Cup races. That's like the ultimate. It's like a game-worn jersey, right? It's like the coolest ever. Both of them have them up in their rooms. And and and, uh, and since, Steve's been amazing. He's met with my son a few times and just talked to him about racing and things like that. But uh, so happy birthday to Steve Nyman, the one person along with Park City's Ted Ligety, who uh, actually at some point um, made it so that actually dad was semi-cool. So e- each kid has their own thing. Happy birthday to Steve. Hope, hope it's going good. And uh, ski fast, ski hard. All right. Uh, there's a lot of questions I'm getting right now. Uh, now that the Jazz have won three in a row and the world isn't coming to an end, of like, can the Jazz move up the standings, uh, et cetera. So I wanted to look at that today. Here's the general premise I have for you that I'm going, or the thesis um, that I'm going to try to prove. Uh, moving up is and moving in general, I think is going to be incredibly difficult. And the reason is everybody's so good. So... Um, Right now, we're sitting at 35 and 18. So we've got 29 games left. If we go 20 and 9, which is basically what we've done all year long, we go in 55 games, I'm not sure that moves us anywhere. And the reason I say that is 
Because if you look at the standings as they sit today, even after the Clipper lost last night, which was nice of the Clippers to do, and they might just lose one more time before the break, you know, we're a game and a half behind the Clippers for three, and we're two and a half behind the Nuggets for two. Credit to Denver. So if we were going to catch Denver, who were down in the season series two, uh, two games to one, and would have to beat them the next time, they have to go 18 if we go 20 and nine, they have to go 18 and 11. That could happen, but it's not actually, and actually that wouldn't even get it done. They've got to go 17 and 12. At some point, you know, that team who's won eight of 10 and won 38 of 54 has to really hit the skids. And that these teams are all so good. It seems rather unlikely that they're going to hit the skids. I'm a little worried about the Rockets. I think, you know, had the Rocket bogey not hitting that shot, uh, all of a sudden, the Rockets have won three of four with this small lineup, uh, with the one loss being Russell not playing against Phoenix. But again, if you are sitting Russell on some back-to-backs and you have back-to-backs late and you lose when Russell doesn't play, well, then that's a problem. Uh, catching the Clippers you know, is getting easier because it's one in the loss column, but it, it, we're going to look at it, and I'll look at the projections with you. But you, There's just not that many games, and... There's not that much of a range of what these teams are going to do. They're all so good that teams just aren't. I just don't think we're going to see these teams play, you know, in a different uh, manner than they're playing right now. I mean, obviously, if somebody uh, decides to go have their, you know, to fall apart, then that's a that's a totally different situation. But I don't see that happening. So here's how the West projects according to ESPN. They have the Jazz finishing at 19 and 10 the rest of the way to get to 54 wins. So they have the they have the Lakers at 61 and running away with it. Uh hard to hard to disagree with it and then beating the Lakers when they're the home seed is going to be brutal. Clippers at 56, Denver at 55, Utah at 54. Houston at 52, Dallas at 50, and OKC at 47. They actually have, and then the interesting one is the last race. They have Portland with Dame making the playoffs. So that's ESPN's system. You know, seven of these teams are, are about 100% of making the playoffs. And the question is where you're going to get seeded. So that has us with the inevitable 5-4 matchup, but with home court against Houston. You go to 538, they project the Lakers with 60, so one off. The Clippers with 56, the exact same. The Nuggets with 56, one up. The Rockets with 54 and us at 53, so they have us going 18 and 11 the rest of the way. You could probably start to quibble with that, but we have not been playing great recently, and they weigh um, recent play. They have the Mavericks slipping all the way to 48. The Thunder at 47. I mean, these, and then they have the Blazers making the playoffs also, but tied with the Pelicans. They actually still have the Pelicans as most likely Pelicans win again last night. Basketball Reference, who actually uses a little bit of a different sequence of things, projects the Lakers at 60. I mean, so there just is, the models are pretty similar here, right? Lakers 61, 60, 60. Clippers at 55. Uh, Basketball Reference has always been known for being lower. Denver at 54, Utah at 52.5 or 53, right kind of where we're talking. Rockets at 51, Dallas at 50, 
Oklahoma City at 48. And then they have Portland making the playoffs over Memphis instead of New Orleans. Dane makes the playoffs. That's pretty awesome. The, my, the point on this is that while this is certainly tight, right? 55, 54, 53, 56, 56, 53. That last one's not that tight. 56, 55, 54. For the Jazz to go get the two seed, it certainly looks like it's going to take 57 wins. Well, now all of a sudden, the rest of the way, you're going 22 and 7. And and that's just to to get to fifth. That's to get to fifty seven. That that seems awfully high. We're, I mean, we literally have to be flawless. Nothing sh- would go wrong. We've had one significant injury and nothing else uh, from with the season with Conley. And the chances of the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Rockets fading feels pretty unlikely. I mean, there just is. There's no sign. Like, Denver's had every injury they possibly could have. The Clippers are doing all their load management stuff and just got deeper. Uh, Houston, actually, I think, really just got way better. Um, When we prepped for that game and suddenly did the research on the impact Capella was having, uh, I thought it was pretty stunning. I mean, even when you look at, like, best and worst on these teams, they're all very similar. So it gets interesting. Now... The Jazz close with Denver on the final night of the season. The final home game before that is April 7th against the Clippers. So there's some things that could be on the line there. We open up with five straight home games, and then I think we play even the rest of the way. Then I think we play you know, about as many home-to-road games as there are um, San Antonio, Houston, Phoenix, Boston, Washington, at Cleveland, at New York, at Boston, at Detroit. I mean, we got to come out gangbusters on the backside of this break and try to push that thing up a little bit and see, you know, obviously turned ankle here or there by anyone can have an impact, but that's not my point. My point is that it's going to be difficult to move because no one's going 14 and 14. Today's show brought to you by the store at 6200 South and 20th East. I will be there today picking up the Clifford eggs, so do not buy them out before I get there. They're also located down at the Gateway, right across from the uh, Children's Museum uh, in the Gateway. They've got kind of an urban setting store. I like that store. Yeah, it does. It feels very cityish, kind of crammed in there. Everything you need, great hot meals for lunch. Uh, as well as kind of, they have a little sushi place, not that's, you know, pre-made. They've got all your kombucha and your nitro, your uh, cold brews. If you want to grab that, actually use it kind of as a coffee shop. Plus it's got every single one of your grocery items you need. Uh, it does. It feels like one of those cool New York urban, uh, grocery stores downtown. So if you're downtown, check it out right across from Children's Museum. 6200 South 20th East feels a little bit more like that community grocery store, Utah's own products. All throughout, everywhere you go, you got the high school kids working the uh, stands, helping the older folks out with their groceries, giving you that feeling of being a part of something. It's absolutely fabulous. It's the store at 6200 South and 20th East. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. 
multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. Uh, for those of you that were intrigued by the Calm app, it's uh, make sure you uh, go get your you can get you can go to calm.com slash locked on NBA and you can uh, get your we're gonna, excuse me. It's just locked on calm.com slash locked on. You get your 40 percent off uh, there. So make sure you, you check that out. It'll say locked on NFL when you get there. All right. Miami today is fascinating. Fascinating. Two great coaches. So listen to some, this is kind of a numbers geek prep to the game, but uh, and, and it's two teams that play really hard. They play, they're more physical. They probably play a little harder. There, there's some interesting aspects of this game. You can choose what you want. So both teams are 35 and 18. Uh, the Jazz have the seventh best differential. They have the eighth best. So they're basically the same. The Jazz offense is ninth. Theirs is eighth. Basically the same. Their defense, the Jazz is 8th. The Heat is 12th. Basically the same. Okay, it's crazy. Style of play. The Jazz play the most half-court possessions. Miami plays the second most. The Jazz, in turn, play the third fewest uh, half-court transition possessions. Other things would be putbacks and things like that. Miami plays the fourth fewest. So... Similar half-court teams, both great half-court execution, both the exact same rating, basically. Both brilliantly coached. They're much better in transition than we are. That's where why they're, uh, they look a little bit better on things. We're the number one three-point shooting team in the league. They're the number two. We take the 12th most shots from three. They take the ninth. Like, we're the same. We're the fourth best team defending the three. They're the best team in the NBA defending the three. Here's the one thing where it changes. They're 29th in the league in three-pointers allowed. Really strange, actually. Really surprised by that. But otherwise, I mean, it's crazy. Effective field goal percentage. Jazz are second, Heat are fourth. Turnover rate. Jazz are 22nd, Heat are 21st. Offensive rebounding, 25 versus 19. That's basically the same, actually. It's like it would take like 100 opportunities for that difference to show up. Fouling, we're the eighth best at not fouling. They're the best at not fouling. Okay? Defensive effective field goal percentage. We're sixth, they're 10th. We don't force turnovers, they don't force turnovers. We don't allow offensive rebounds, they don't allow offensive rebounds. I mean, like, stunningly similar. 
They foul. They get to the free throw line the most earlier. I said it backwards. They foul a little bit more defensively because they're overly aggressive than we are. Than we foul. They're 18th in the league in fouling. We're eighth. But like defensive rebounding rates are the exact same. Turnover rates exact same. Defensive effective field goal percentage exact same. Offensive free throw rate virtually the same. They go to the line a little bit more. Offensive def- offensive rebounding rate exact same. Turnover exact same. Effective field goal percentage exact same. It's crazy. It's really an interesting, and I'm trying to figure out why. Because I'm not sure I think the teams are that similar. Certainly the core at the middle of the teams are very different. Bam out of Bayou and Rudy Gobert. Bam out of Bayou is out of the Nikola Jokic type of center now. He's third on their team in assists at five. He plays out of that elbow, passes. They run massive cutters all the time. They've got Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn just bombing threes. Tyler Hero. They're a little, I would say they're a little deeper than we are. They have Jimmy Butler as kind of a bona fide star. We have emerging stars. They've got Dragic and Conley, I guess, could be similar. Just kind of where they are in their careers and who they are. I mean, our, our Butler's kind of, the way they're using Butler is the way we use Joe Ingles. Uh, except for the fact that he can drop 20 every night, which Joe, sorry, can't quite do. Joe will tell me otherwise, but no, actually Joe will not. But, uh, really, it's fast. Prepping for this game last night was fascinating. Um, the other one that's interesting on Miami is when you kind of dig into some of their lineups and their on-off stuff, they just have the ability to throw so many different styles out there. So when you look at their on-off, Duncan Robinson is their best on-off player on the roster, which is crazy. It's just such a statement to gravity. And it's a back to a conversation I had with Quinn Snyder and assistant coach Vince LaGarza of why on my numbers system are players like Duncan Robinson and Rudy Gobert and Jared Allen and Rashawn Holmes and J.J. Redick and Davis Bertans showing up as so incredibly valuable? And the answer was that because the league is 100% committed to taking away the three and the rim, that when you actually have a player that's so good that they can do it, it's... It's pretty impressive. And it makes a bigger impact than it would otherwise because, frankly, you can take away a shooter, but Duncan Robinson, at despite starting his career at Williams and then going to Michigan and being an Ivy, basically a you know Division three basketball player at one point in his career, his shooting is so elite and his size is he's 6'7", so he can get that shot off. It just alters the game. Jimmy Butler is their other by far best plus minus player. I mean, he's just been terrific for him. So in that sense, he's their Joe Ingles, but he can drop 20. He's really struggling with his shot. Over the last 10 games, he's shooting 17% from three. The thing he does is he goes to the rate, he goes to the free throw line at a higher rate than just about anybody in the league. You got to keep him off the glass. And he doesn't turn it over. They don't turn it over when he's on the floor, interestingly. So you look at their plus-minus. The only players that actually aren't very good in plus-minus are Derek Jones Jr. and Tyler Hero. They're both pretty terrible. Um, In turn, they've also then, 
you know, change their added Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala to their roster to give them, you know, stunningly even more depth in their in their one thirteen. 101 win over Golden State. These guys play so hard that they played nine guys. And <laughs> Tyler Hero's out and didn't play, which probably makes them better right now. Just Tyler Hero being a rookie. Um, what in just isn't quite there. And then the other aspect, which we don't entirely know about them yet, because Igudon Crowder is this kind of amazing versatility they can throw out there. So they just have so many different lineups. When Derek Jones comes in, who is one of their least good plus-minus players, they go to the zone. And they use the zone a lot. See, that's the other thing that's interesting. Despite all these statistics being the same, like, they play a ton of zone. We don't do that. Like, so defensively, the principles are very different. Maybe offensively, some of the principles are the same. But it's interesting. Their top lineups are all great. Their number one lineups plus 12. Their number two lineups plus 27. Their number three lineup is plus 18. Their only lineups that aren't very good, I don't know that we're going to ever see anymore. So they were minus 19 when Tyler Hero was on with Dragic, Jones, and Olenek and Adebayo. I don't know we're seeing that anymore because of Jay and, and Igudala. They were minus 18 when it was Dragic, Nunn, Butler, Myers, Leonard, and Adebayo. I'm not sure we're seeing that anymore. Now that they have Igudala and they have Crowder. So they're really interesting. Team, a lot of people think that they're ready to, to make that push and, and to break through. Today's show is brought to you part by Homie. You know, when you think about who Homie was when we kind of first started this and had them advertising on the show, Homie was this, this advertising or this real estate group that was kind of coming out here to change the world, disrupt the marketplace, do what, frankly, you know, I, I heard one of the gubernatorial candidates talking about that like homie is what Utah entrepreneurship is all about. It's about disruption and changing things and innovation. Well, now homie just keeps growing and growing and growing. And they're entering into Arizona. They're entering into Nevada. We're seeing this all originate out of Utah. Why? Because they've saved over $50 million of people's commissions. Homie's helped thousands of buyers and sellers last year with over a billion dollars of real estate transactions. In fact, an academic study out of BYU showed that they're selling homes for more money and eight days faster over the past three years. So they're they're totally disrupting the marketplace. It's pretty cool. And they're saving people upwards of about $10,000 per transaction. That's that's what homie's all about. Text LOCK to 88588. That's LOCK to 88588. And find out more and have an experienced local homie agent help you every step of the way. If you're new to homie, how they do this is because they don't pay the traditional 6% commission that is part of real estate. Instead, there's a set price when you're selling your home. And when you buy your home with homie, they try to work their way to get you $5,000 back on the deal. Find out more by texting LOCK, L-O-C-K-E to 88588.
Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. I tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me. And now the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor. It's so quiet. It's no louder than an electric toothbrush. And best of all, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need starts at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, the name of this network right now, and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on. Theragun.com slash locked on. Every now and then I get like a little, you know, burn my saddle where I'm trying to figure something out or I want to know something or... So here's just for interest the one that I want to share with you that I've been working on recently. What is the optimum offense in the NBA? Here's why. If we go to 2009-2010, the best offense in the league was the Phoenix Suns. They were pretty radical at 114 points per 100 possessions. The next best was Atlanta at 111. It seemed unlikely. If we go back, let's go back to 2001 2002, all the way back. Dallas Mavericks played, so we're 20 years ago. We'll do this in two, three-year increments. Dallas was playing a smaller ball. They were doing some interesting things. They were a 110. Let's jump ahead three years, 2004, 2005. Phoenix kind of revolutionized the game, was playing at a 112.7, 113 offensive rating. This is points per 100 possessions. So the game was being changed. Phoenix... Let's go to two thousand let's go three years ahead, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Now the number drops. The Jazz are actually the number one offensive team in the league then. At one twelve. Phoenix is right with them. Now they're playing Jazz are playing a little different style, but they're playing with Boozer and Darren and a great point guard. 2010, 2011, the, it's still hovering right around the same number. Denver's now the number one team at a at a one twelve. So we're not making we're changing. We're doing a lot of things. Nothing's nothing's moving. 2013-14, it slips. It goes backwards to 111. The Clippers with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin is the best offensive team in the league. It, we go to Let's go to 2016-17, jumping another three years ahead. Now, all of a sudden, there's this spike. And this spike actually happens the year before in 15-16 from the Warriors. They begin to touch on it. They, they have a... And listen to this progression we have. So the Warriors have the best offense in the league at 113.5, okay? Oklahoma City with Durant and Westbrook and and maybe even Harden at that point are at 112. They're kind of blowing the rest of the league away. The Warriors are at 114, Thunder at 112, Cavaliers, LeBron are 110, but the the rest of the league's not up there. We moved, now we're to go year by year. All of a sudden, the Warriors spike. They go from 112 to 114.8, and Houston follows with Harden. So now all of a sudden, the Warriors are basically at 115. The Rockets are at 114. The Cavaliers are at 113. Denver's at 112. Like, these would have led the league the year before. In one year, the Warriors, like, exposed the world to spacing 
We go to 2017, 18. And the Rockets now become the best offensive team. Still at 114. The Raptors jump in there. The Warriors are still at 113. Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns playing differently is in there. 2018-19, the Warriors take it last year. The last year of Durant. Last year, the last year of Durant. One more notch up to 115, and the Rockets come with them. We're now at the historically greatest offense of all time at 115. Now we go to this year. All of a sudden, it's 116, and it's the Dallas Mavericks. They're three points better than the rest of the league, actually. So the question is, what's the optimum offense? Like, where can we go? We've driven this thing. If we go back to where we started, right, 2001, we've gone from 110 to 116 in 20 years. But what's interesting really about it is if you, other than the Phoenix Suns who kind of blew the thing, kind of exposed everyone to where we were going, in the middle of 12-13 and that, the Heatles, we were still at 111. So in the last eight years, seven years, we've gone from 111 to 116. Where are we going? What's Now, to some extent, Dallas is an outlier. Dallas is three points better than the rest of the league in offense. People should be like looking at what Dallas is doing. Dallas is actually breaking the game offensively more so than just about anyone. So anyway, my my latest kind of thing I've been asking all the coaches is like, have you thought about, and most of them haven't because they're worrying about game to game, what the optimum offense in this league could be? Like, where could we go? And it's interesting to me that Dallas, who honestly, like, it's they're not that wowing, is doing it. It, me, it leads me to believe it, like, we might be at a 118. Now, here gets the next part. If you take the last 15 games, Toronto's at 118.9, Dallas is at 118.4, Portland's at 117, Utah's at 117, Lakers are at 117. Okay, that's the last 15 games. Not a big enough sample size. But I begin. I feel as though right now, I can go to kind of any two month stretch of the league. So let me do December first to, you know, if I do December first to February first, right? It's 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 two years or two months. Excuse me, not two years. Okay. I think I will end up with a team that is at a 120. I am Portland Trailblazers for that. That's interesting. That's a, they only played 10. That can't be right. Something's wrong here. They only played 10 games. Oh, I know why. Never mind. Let me fix it. There. So that 10 game strat, 20 game stretch, Portland's at a 116. Nothing crazy. The que- I keep seeing these 20 game stretches, like the Jazz are frankly in one, right? If you take from the day in which we added Jordan Clarkson to today, which is a 24-game stretch, our offensive rating is a 118.7. Okay, I just told you 116 is the best ever. We're actually two points better than the rest of the league. Honestly, I kind of feel the same way I do about us, about Dallas. Like, I don't look at us and say, that's the greatest offensive team that's ever been created. Our star players yet to really be that efficient. 
We've got great shooting, but maybe that's all it is now, right? Dallas takes the like third or fourth most amount of threes in the league and, or second most amount of threes in the league and makes a lot of them. Maybe that's all it is. But there's something going on here when I can go grab these 20-game stretches around the league all the time and find teams that are at 119. Portland's there right now. Like if I go, that's a 25-game stretch or 23 for the Jazz, but if I just move that a little bit forward, I think I can end up with, like, so now I'm at 20 games. I got five teams at 117. At some point, those 117, five games, 15-game stretches keep rolling and keep going. It's pretty interesting. At least that's interesting to me. You can decide. Uh, buyout market, I promised that. I also promised politics jokes, but we want to. I actually wanted to take political candidates to players or teams. Like, so Joe Biden, it like, keeps getting to play in the NBA, but he's like, oh, and 100. Right? Or like, if, it was, if he's a European soccer league team, they keep promoting him for no reason. I have my Hillary Clinton European soccer league analogy, but I can't do it on the air. Uh, Mo Harkless in the Knicks is a potential buyout candidate for the Knicks who's actually kind of interesting to me. We could slide him in at the four. He's not a good shooter, which is the problem. It's why the um, it's why the Rocket, it's why the Clippers got rid of him, but if we end up playing Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, and they have Patrick Beverly on the floor and they slide someone to a four on our bench units, George Niang is now guarding Paul George. That seems problematic. Tristan Thompson here are the top 10, according to the Ringer, uh, top 10 buyout candidates. Dan Devine did this. He does great work. Tr- congratulations to everybody at the Ringer, Bill Simmons, for building something in the latest purchase. That's really awesome. I'm so excited. Just, Bill Simmons has changed the world, allowed the rest of us to do what we do. I, I've never met him, never talked to him for whatever reason, and a, a huge admiration. Uh, Tristan Thompson. Not, I don't think the Jazz are interested. Mo Harkless is interesting, right? Like, he's 26 years old. He's not a great shooter. He's not terrible. He's 6'7 with a 7'2 wingspan. Like he, everyone, oh, I want athletes that can shoot. All right, you know, athletes that can shoot are all-stars. Right now, we have shooters that are non-athletes. It might be nice to have that athletic. So Mo Harkless is interesting to me. Reggie Jackson is not. Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith are not. Amon Shumpert is not. He's 6'5", 217. My convincing thing on him is because he can't shoot, we decide he's a defensive player, and I'm not sure he actually is. Evan Turner is not interesting. Isaiah Thomas is not particularly interesting. Tyler Johnson and Courtney Lee are both buyout candidates. Tyler Johnson's already been bought out. I actually have always really, really liked Tyler Johnson. Um, I don't think we need him because we have Jordan Clarkson, and I don't know how he would play, uh, but he's actually a player I've always sort of liked. Um, Markeith Morris in Detroit. Tiny bit of interest there. Um you know, he's not, he, he could, he kind of could fit a big four, small five if we have to against uh, Houston, if that's really our first playoff matchup. If you're starting to look specifically at matchups, he could be a little interesting in that regard. Taj Gibson of the Knicks, who I've always had a little bit of a concern about because he uses so many possessions and everyone thinks of him just a defensive player. And he's probably a little older and slower, and I haven't watched him this year uh, because he's on the Knicks. But that would be another one. You could probably slide four or five, be a little interesting. John Henson of the Pistons, just acquired, um, is one who's 
always been long and lanky and seems like he'd be a good backup to uh, Rudy, but frankly has never, like, why does he keep bouncing around everyone? I haven't watched him enough to know, but that would be um, a little disconcerting. I don't think Bobby Portis will get bought out. He's interesting only in the sense that he can stretch as a five and a shooter. Um, So those are the buyout market guys. None of those really move the meter a tremendous amount, um, but there are at least some interesting names in there. All right, that is today's show. Uh, Have a great one. Um, Is Amy Klobuchar, Nikola Jokic um, sneakily snuck up on all of us and became the star without us realizing it? I don't know. That's kind of what I was joking about politically. Um, is, Is Joe Biden actually Andrew Wiggins? Like number one pick, anointed, and yet actually never. You got that was that was what I was gonna have fun with. It it's not very good. See, rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov, and I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday. We talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.